Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. And a big thanks to Heartbeat sponsor Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon. The World Championships are now underway in Oberhof. You'll be able to catch all of the action streamed live. And today, Heartbeat will introduce you to first-time team member Vincent Bonacci, who made his World Cup debut at Antholz in January. Bonacci is one of an exciting group of young biathletes coming onto the scene. He distinguished himself just a few weeks ago with an 11th place finish at the Open European Championships in Switzerland. Vincent's pathway to biathlon began when he was four, when dad put him on a pair of cross-country skis. And he was soon competing in Utah Nordic Alliance races and dreaming about shooting when he would ski by the biathlon range at Soldier Hollow. When he was around 12, he got his chance at biathlon at an introductory event at West Yellowstone, and he was hooked. He's a wonderful young man who has also found a home with Team Crosscut in Montana. Now let's join Vincent Bonacci in Oberhof on Heartbeat. We are on the eve of the World Championships in Oberhof, and today Heartbeat is taking you to Oberhof. And with us right now is first-time team member Vincent Bonacci. And Vincent, thanks so much for joining us this evening, your time over in Oberhof. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here, and I'm excited to be on the podcast. Well, it's a great opportunity. You've earned your way to the World Championships. I know that you just arrived in town today, but any sense of the atmosphere and what's going on there? It's a bit hard to tell the atmosphere so far. So we just got on the ground today. I had an awesome jog with um, Jake Brown, one of my teammates, earlier um, just going around town. And it was very cool to see all the things currently being set up. There are a bunch of tents for restaurants and whatnot all around. But there really aren't too many people here yet. So I'm sure in the next couple of days, once everything's set up and people start to trickle in, it'll really start to get a sense of it, but just seeing how much stuff is being built, like I'm getting very excited to see because I'm assuming they'll have people to go in all the tents and all the seats and whatnot. So once that's there, it'll be insane, I'm sure. Well, Oberhof is a really historic Nordic village. It's been a hotbed of Nordic sports for many, many years in the former East Germany. Uh, you haven't raced there before, though. This is your first time in Oberhof, right? Yes, this is my. I would say it's my first time racing in Oberhof. Um, on these tracks i was here for like 10 days this summer with the u.s biathlon summer camp and so i i've shot on this range and used their roller ski tracks but the variety from that to the winter is incredible as well as there aren't many spectators for roller ski races here especially not compared to what i think is going to happen here so it's definitely going to be a learning experience for sure well, I think it's a real benefit to have some sort of perspective. So I think you being able to come for that camp last summer probably is going to really help you adjust to things over the next week. Yeah, I think I am definitely lucky to have had that because I tend to get overwhelmed, especially in new places. So being able to be here and have it be not a totally, totally new place for also world championships my first time is very helpful for me. So very thankful to have had that experience this summer. 
Well, let's explore your background on how you got into the sport. You grew up in Salt Lake City and uh, were able to discover the sport early on. Uh, I, I know that you probably don't have a whole lot of memories going back to when you were four or five years old, but do you have a sense of what that was like to get into cross-country skiing? And how did you get that introduction back when you were four years old? So, I mean, I have my dad to thank for that one. He He was always a big road cyclist and he did what I've seen actually quite a few people do or once you're not quite training hard enough on the road bike to want to ride in the winter anymore, you try to find something else to do in the winter. So it's, you stay fit for biking once that you're, once it's summertime. And my dad, he went to cross country skiing for that and then had a lot of fun. And I think because I was also quite young and so were my siblings, it's a lot easier to take care of the kids by putting us on little skis and having us scoot around in the snow until we're tired instead of find a babysitter and whatnot so we would just go up with him and play in the snow and so that's really how i got into it i even remember my first ski race i think i was j5 whatever age that was but i was a year i was a year below that age group so i think i was five or six and i got lost and cried a lot and um finished dead last don't don't even know how i found my way back to the finish line but didn't give up on it there i guess or my parents took me to the next one and i kept having fun and here I am now. You got started in an organization called Tuna. And for those who don't live in Utah and might not know what Tuna is, tell us about Tuna. So Tuna is an acronym for the Utah Nordic Alliance. It's a funny team name. We have we have fish on the race suits, or at least did when I was racing. It's a really cool organization. I'm thankful to have been part of the team there. And one thing that really stands out to me is compared to a lot of the other western teams it's kind of a ramshackle bunch of kids especially coming from salt lake you have kids from all over all different backgrounds and what i really liked once i got older is i had the opportunity to participate as kind of a coach or um, group leader in outreach programs or in their learn to ski program on sundays and things like that as well as they have a bunch of cool community events that they put on too and race series and whatnot but i'm really thankful to have been part of that organization because it added a lot more to skiing than just showing up to being on a team which i'm very thankful for i want to go back to the time when you were really really young you were just two years old at the time of the olympics in 2002 and i know that you wouldn't have any memory but you know do your do your parents talk about that or do you you know what what knowledge base do you have of that event and how important it was in 2002 um i've seen so there's still a ton of images and whatnot everywhere in Salt Lake. Just the other day, I was the other day being Christmas time. I was in Salt Lake and I had to get my car tire fixed, so I took it to a tire shop. And I'm sitting down, and they have a big billboard of the Olympics, and you can see of like a picture of Salt Lake in the Olympics, and you can see they had banners hanging down the biggest buildings there that are just pictures of skiers and speed skaters. And the torch parade went right by my house. So it was right around my birthday. I had an Olympics birthday party, which I don't remember, but I've seen the photos of me being psyched on the Olympics. And it was also cool when I attended the University of Utah for a couple of years, being able to walk past the, um, the arch where they did the medals ceremonies and see the Olympic cauldron. And I've always, and there's still Salt Lake 2002 things sort of everywhere in Salt Lake. So I've always kind of had that sense of like, the Olympics is really cool. And I've always tried to pay attention to those things because to me, it's a very special event. So being surrounded with things like that is really valuable to me. 
Yeah, it's really a cool story. You were born on February 20th. So you were right in the heart of the thing uh, uh, to, uh, in, in the year 2000. So you were two at that time. Uh, I imagine with, with Tuna, you raced in a lot of places. But do, do, what was it like to be able to race at Soldier Hollow, the, the Olympic venue? For me, it, it has always been a very special venue to race at. Um, especially even when I was little and I was only doing the town series called the Wasatch Citizen Series that was all over those few Utah venues. The Soldier Hollow races were always more special because it had a lodge to sit in. And then I remember being amazed, like, wow, the trails are so wide here. And it was a little bit farther from my house than anywhere else, so it seemed like a real journey to get there. My dad is always like, this is an Olympic venue, and then you have the big timing building, and you have all these things there that no other venue in Utah has. There's, of course, the biathlon range that I would always look at and be like, oh, this is so cool. So it has all of these things that when I was a little kid, I loved. I loved to look at, loved to explore around, and just remember being kind of in awe of this venue. Like, wow, this is so cool, and the Olympics happened here, you know. Now, not only does Soldier Hollow have wide trails, but it also has some really punishing uphills and terrifying downhills. As a little kid, did you relish that, or was that a terror for you to have to go up uh, the, the big hills? I think I was really fortunate to have grown up in the time I did where Soldier Hollow, I would say the first really brutal course I raced on at Soldier Hollow was in 2014 or 2016. Before then, they would divert most of their snowmaking toward the more friendly trails for the Nordic Center and things like that. So that was the main trails I would race on. So even for the, the what they call the super qualifier, they wouldn't run that on the most punishing of the trails. But once they hosted that national championships event that year, they went back to racing on the Olympic trails. And I remember a very distinct change of all of a sudden going to Soldier Hollow and being like, oh, they built trails here. And you got to go up this and like, or just remember, you know, as a younger kid looking at my watch and like, oh, after the ski and seeing like, oh, wow, we were going 45 miles an hour down that hill in the race. That's pretty sweet. But it all of a sudden transformed the venue from, oh, it's an Olympic venue, but it kind of feels the same to, oh, when you're racing here, you really feel like you're racing and you got to bring your A game because it will destroy you if you don't. Everybody gets into biathlon a little bit of a different way, and you actually got in relatively early in your career. How did you How did you come upon biathlon and make a decision to go to your first biathlon uh, camp or introductory program? My first biathlon introduction was just the Yellowstone Ski Festival is a huge event for the Western U.S., as well as a lot of other colleges and people from all over the country will attend it over Thanksgiving in West Yellowstone because the snow is quite reliable, the trails are excellent. And every year they have a novice biathlon where you can show up, they supply the rifles, you just ski the laps, you show up to the point, they've got a rifle set there, you shoot your five shots, hopefully they hit, do another lap, shoot five shots, do another lap, finish, and it's a great time. I was really lucky to have a great experience the first time I did that, and so every single year past then I was like, Dad, Dad, we have to go early enough to do the novice biathlon. Dad, Dad, we have to do this. So that was really where I got started in it. And I've always been interested in shooting sports and things like that, whether it's doing a little bit of hunting with my dad or going shooting bows with my brother or even just playing with Nerf guns or airsoft guns in the backyard. I've always been kind of into the whole marksmanship side of it. So it seemed sort of, it was always something I wanted to do after that point. And 
I thought it was quite cool. I actually ended up having a poster of a biathlete in my room for a long time because I got it through Billy DeMong when he was giving out all his posters being a great athlete around 2010. So I had a poster of a biathlete in my room for a while too. So it was kind of always in the back of my mind and then went from there. Vincent, how old were you when you took your first shot up at Yellowstone? Probably 10 or 11 years old, I think. Okay. Not, Not very old. And did you kind of aspire a little bit having skied at Soldier Hollow? Did you aspire to get on that range someday and try your hand at the uh, uh, the Olympic venue? Uh, I think so. And like as a little kid, I always watched the Olympics and really had sort of that Olympic dream. The whole like, oh, you know, like one day I'll be there. Especially being at Soldier Hollow, it was always one of those like, oh, if the Olympics happened here, it made it feel a little bit closer. And so for sure especially in those years where Soldier Hollow really wasn't being used as a training facility very much by biathletes or something, or really, I never, I'd never seen biathletes there. I was incredibly excited to hopefully like shoot there and because it it was always very magical to me. Like, Oh, like, look at this place. Like I want to use this. I want to be someone shooting here. So that was always very special. As you got into your teens, what was the turning point when you decided to follow a biathlon competition pathway? Honestly, the, the turning point for me, I think, came, came pretty late uh, because it was my, my senior year of high school was when I sort of was old enough to have the autonomy to drive myself to Soldier Hollow and join their biathlon team there with Zach Hall as the coach. So that year, I didn't really understand us biathlon hadn't really met many people in it but i was on the soldier hollow club and competing for them doing all the local biathlons and doing okay there because i was still skiing competitively for tuna as well i remember we went to minnesota for trials it was my first time ever getting on a plane to go ski anywhere so that was a big thing went to Minnesota, it was brutally cold. And I had some races that were okay. Like I missed a lot of targets and I just got absolutely destroyed by Voshik, Trevanka, and Garrett Beckridge. And I just got destroyed. And I remember coming back from that and being like, oh, if I want to be good at this. I have to start trying a lot harder right now. That, that was really the turning point where I decided I wanted to become a good biathlete and started working hard for it. Yeah, that's a good motivation, isn't it? Definitely. You made a decision at some point to choose the Crosscut program, which is one of the great club programs in the country. What have you found in that program that's really helped you in your pursuit of excellence? Something I have found very rewarding through the Crosscut program, and I think has helped me more than maybe other programs would, is the the way it's set up. It's not like the National Guard or Craftsbury, where everyone is in the same area training in the same area and it's all very close together just because of bozeman's geography crosscuts a little bit more spread out they don't provide housing it's definitely it's a very official team now but when i joined it was there was no paved range there was a lot of more kind of fun oriented training lots of trail running lots of using the mountains things like that um and i think what really helped me was the required increase in independence when I joined Team CrossCut. All of a sudden, I moved away from home. I'd, I'd never lived outside of Salt Lake City before that point. And so I moved during 
essentially peak COVID time to Bozeman, Montana and started training with a bunch of people I had never met before. It was a great time. The team was very welcoming. And I think that little bit of required extra independence really helped kind of get my brain in gear and really put that little bit, not necessarily pressure, but that little extra motivation of getting me ready to get out there every day and kind of and when I all of a sudden had to do all these things, you know, like grocery shop for myself, it got way easier to go to training because all of a sudden that became the fun of the day. Everything else was the work. The grocery shopping became the fun of the day. No, no, no. The training became the, the training fun of the day. did. Okay. Okay. Because, good. Just wanted yeah. to. Oh yeah. Sorry for the vagueness there. Yeah. Once I, once I was no longer at home and once my mom was not cooking for me and whatnot, all of those things became what was work and training is now the playtime which I think is how it should be. I love that I feel that way about it. And it definitely has helped me progress a lot in the sport. Vincent, you're now spending four or five months a year on the road uh, competing in biathlon internationally. What's a typical year plan like for you at CrossCut? When are you up there and, and when are you elsewhere in training and competing? This year, I mean, I haven't really had the same year plan any year at CrossCut. It's been somewhat of a progression from the first year at CrossCut. I spent the whole summer there, had some good time trials in the winter and ended up spending a few months in Europe racing that spring. And so the next year I spent most of the summer at CrossCut, but I had some camps with the junior national team in Lake Placid and then also in Jericho, Vermont for those races. And then in October, we'd always spend time in Utah for those qualification races as well. But I'd stayed at CrossCut that summer, all but those three camps. And then this past summer, I have spent honestly about as much time in Bozeman as I have in Lake Placid, where I'm very fortunate to train with a great group of dudes on the national team. It, it's been a progression, which is a little sad because I love training in the West. I love being in the mountains. I love being at CrossCut. But as I've progressed, I've spent less and less time there and more and more time in the East or in Europe training with the, um, with the national team. It's a pretty interesting lifestyle. Have you been able to adapt to that and all of the changes you've had over the last couple of years? I think so. One thing that helps me a lot is the attitude of the men's team. Everyone's very welcoming. Everyone's happy. Everyone helps each other. And it's great to be able to no matter where we're going, know that you're going with a group of dudes you can trust and that are fun to be around. So that has helped me a lot. Another thing that I think helps is it's been very gradual. Now that I'm spending more and more time in Europe, I've I've built up to it. I'm lucky to not have just gone from, oh, you know, I've never gone to Europe to ski to bam, you're spending three months there to race. I definitely have a very difficult time with that transition. But because I've been lucky in the way that I've gradually increased my time in Europe and time on the road racing throughout the years. I think, I think that has helped me a lot. And I'm lucky to have that opportunity, especially because I started at the right time. And so through junior racing and also just through luckily having things like junior worlds was at soldier hollow for my last year. That was, um, that was excellent too, because I didn't have to be on the road for that. So lots of little things have really helped me out. Well, it's been, it's been a great journey. We're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to take a short break on Heartbeat, and we'll be right back with Vincent Bonacci on the eve of the World Championships in Oberhof. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with more from Vincent in just a moment. 
As the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon, Paul Smith's college takes pride in the programs it has established to offer athletes a college education as well as sports-specific training, all nestled in New York's Adirondacks. From an outstanding trail network to its eight-point biathlon range, Paul Smith's College is a great environment for athletes who want a small college located in a sports-centric region. Paul Smith's College also played a major role in last month's World University Games as the Athlete Village for Biathlon and Nordic Athletes. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. That's paulsmithsbobcats.com. Now let's get back to Oberhof as we have a conversation with Vincent Bonacci at the World Championships. And we're back on Heartbeat. And today we are in Oberhof, Germany, on the eve of the World Championships with Vincent Bonacci. And uh, Vincent, uh, it's been really fun to watch your results, uh, particularly in recent weeks. And I, I, I want to trace your last two and a half years on the international circuit. But I want to start with what you did in January with some really extraordinary results at the European Championships in Lenzerheide. Tell us about that. So that was um, that's only my second Open European Championships ever. The first one definitely didn't go quite as well, but this one I showed up and I had more confidence than ever um, at a biathlon race. So I was very happy to ch- to be there and just and feel very sure of myself. Feel like I I could perform on the range and I could potentially put in a good ski time. Through talking with some of my coaches and some of my teammates, I realized that if I just went for it, and I've I've never really thought this as much before a race as I did before those two races there, the sprint and the pursuit, I realized if I just try to ski as fast as I can straight from the beginning and shoot as fast as I can, something just might happen. And it was also, it was a bit of a weird race. If I can give you the play by play, I don't like to necessarily hear splits when I'm racing, especially not before shooting. It tends to get in my head. And so I need to work on that for the mental game. But this one, I started the race and I'm skiing up and around and there are little ways where you can tell you're doing well, like if they swing a camera to point it at you as you're skiing through a split. And I didn't notice them doing that. And I ski in for the prone shooting and I don't hear the announcer say my name. Luckily, I hit all the targets in prone and I'm skiing out and I don't hear the announcer say my name as I'm leaving the stadium. So I'm like, oh, I don't know where I'm at. I was bib 42. So I figured I was like, oh, I'm probably like in 15th or something place. There's not not really much I can do about it. It might just not be going my way. I was like, but I still want to try as hard as I can. So I kept at it, came through, and I came in for standing shooting. And I didn't hear the announcer saying my name as I'm shooting standing. So I was like, okay, probably like if I was in the top 10 or whatever, he probably would have been like, oh, Vincent's in whatever place. He's now shooting on point 18 for standing. I came in, I was shooting fast and I just, I got really excited because I'd hit four targets and I just yanked the trigger, pulled my last shot off a little bit, which is okay. And then I'm skiing around the penalty loop. I actually got to ski right behind Boshik in the penalty loop and it's always fun to see your teammates out there. I really didn't realize how well the race was going until I was going up the second hill on the course and it was either Maddie or Matthias who were in the coaching zone just yelled, Vincent, you're three seconds from fifth place. You need to go fast. And I was just like, something clicked in my head. I was like, oh, whoa, something's happening now. And just really went as hard as I could for that last lap and kind of had some tunnel vision. Don't remember too much beyond that point, but it was a really fun race and it was super fun to end up in 11th, especially in a 
feel that big and a race that competitive. So very happy with that. You had your teammate, Maxime Germain, right behind you in 15th. So pretty good finish for Team USA. Oh, yeah. I was I was so excited to see Maxime there, too. Especially he was, I think he was pretty much done racing when I started. He was a really early bib in the first, first 10. I want to say he was four or something. So I remember I saw that he had missed one and had a really good day. And that kind of, I got a little inspired. I was like, well, you know, if Maxime can do it, I might not be able to beat him, but I was like, but we can all do it because I've, I've been close to him a lot. So I went out there and really happy with the day I had. And it's always cool to be able to feed off your teammates and really like, you know, I, I didn't want to beat him. I just thought I was like, this is someone I've trained with a lot. I can probably do it if he can. So that was a really cool feeling. Well, it's a, it's a really fun story. Let's go back more to the beginning, though. Uh, this is your third season internationally. Let's go back to your debut in that first year when you're, you're out there, you're kicking it around the IBU Cups Junior World Championships. I mean, what's going through your mind? I mean, this is, this is really a whole new level of racing for you. Yeah. So that year, actually, that was my technically, I'd say my second year internationally competing. I just, I made Junior Worlds once as a youth biathlete in 2000 so i went to the 2019 junior worlds in oserbly and really had like quite a poor experience there and i remember coming into my first year on the ibu cup with some trepidation like i don't know like the last time i raced internationally i got my butt kicked pretty brutally like i don't know what's gonna happen here blah blah, blah. and i had a great i'm so happy for the group of people i had around me there max durchy raleigh gosling Vashik trubanka the two coaches of that first couple of weeks of racing were Michael Gibson and Tim Burke. And it was awesome to have all those people there that were just incredibly nice to me and also really good to be around because I remember I showed up and I was like so nervous because I didn't, I felt almost like I didn't deserve the spot on the team because there had been some weird discretionary selection. I know my teammate Luke Brown really wanted to be there. I, felt all this pressure that I really didn't need to feel because of that. And because of those people around me, they were like, look, dude, like nobody cares how you're going to do except for you. Don't race conservatively. Don't try to be safe. Like just go out there and do as good of a race as you can. And that's all like you're here. You can't change anything. It's not your fault that you're here. Um, you might as well just have as much fun as possible and race as well as possible. And that helped me so, so much. And I ended up, I think, kind of building through that season. I learned a ton, like bring slippers if you're traveling in Europe for forever. I got a lot better at sink laundry. And I ended up having my best athletic season so far to that point doing that. And I mean, it's really all thanks to just having such a great group of people around me. Yeah, those are such great stories because you have just told the quintessential story of what it takes to have success when you get on the road like that. As, as, you, as you look over those first couple years, were there any particular events that really stand out as milestones where you said, you know, I think this is going to work out for me? Every year, I think I have a couple of stepping stones. Like I'm trying to think of that. That first year, it would probably be an open European championships in Poland. I almost made the pursuit. There were like 160 people and I think I finished like 75th in the sprint. And that was one of those races where I think it was my best numerical result to date on the IBU Cup when I had that. And I realized like, oh, I can actually like, I'm making progress. 
and I can do a little better. And I also had a bunch of smaller victories throughout that season. Like in the individual, it wasn't my best skiing race. It was the second 20 kilometer race I'd ever raced in my life, but I hit 19 for 20 targets in that. So that was definitely a big victory to take away from that. Then the sprint there was another great race. After that, we headed to Slovakia and I ended up almost, almost barely eking my way into a pursuit, but I finally got my first start in the men's relay in Slovakia. And that was a lot of fun. And I think I actually got the team up from like 12th to 11th or something. So I gained a position and I was, I saw that and I, that was a huge victory for me. So yeah, I've had lots of, lots of little stepping stones. And I think it's important to, even if it, even if nowadays that wouldn't seem like a huge victory to me, I think it's really important to in the moment make sure to celebrate all your victories no matter how small because it keeps it way more fun now it's a really good philosophy to do that i'm just looking through these results it looks like you actually shot pretty well that first year were you happy with where your shooting was at that point in your career i was super happy the one thing it doesn't show you though on that year versus the next year is even though i was shooting really well i think the average time i spent on the mat for a shooting was 55 or more seconds. So although the next year I'm not hitting quite as many targets, I you can essentially subtract a penalty loop from every single shooting because I've got my times I got my shooting times down so much. So that first year though, it was awesome to have that confidence boost of just like if I do what I know, I can put the targets down. That really I think has helped me demystify shooting because sometimes if you just try to go through the execution like the guys on the world cup do you just it makes no sense how they hit five targets and you only hit three but i think for me it helped having that season where i realized in a race i can hit five targets so now to just do it all faster is a lot simpler than trying to start hitting targets while doing the same thing well, fast forward to this past year, and we're going to lead up to the World Cup in Antholz, but uh, you came out this year with some pretty consistent results across the IBU Cup. Yeah, I was um, I was lucky, I think, to have some decent results in Idris, Sweden. I had people who were on the trips with me know this, but I was having a very difficult time on the skis in those first few IBU Cups, really until um, after the races in Craftsbury and and after the IBU Cups in Slovakia at the beginning of the second trimester is when I kind of found my feet again and found my balance. But in those races in Sweden, I'm, I had some excellent shooting. I was very happy with it. Even though I was not happy with the skiing, it was really cool to see that I had by far my best IBU Cup results ever and that I also finished the race and knew I could do much better. So that ended up, even though it wasn't the races I wanted to have, it ended up being a huge confidence booster because I saw that I was getting decent results and I knew that I could do a lot better if I could just figure out what was going on. So that, that helped me definitely build into the rest of the season. Let's move up and talk a little bit about Antholz, your World Cup debut in January. And you had the maybe good fortune of sorts that uh, some some teammates were, were out with illness and there were some start spots available, but you'd earned that right. You'd earned that ability to be there. Uh, when did you get the call to say you were going to get that start in Antholz? I got the call, I want to say about 48 hours, a little less than that before the start, just enough time to pack up all my stuff in Obertiliak, which is luckily only an hour away from Antholz, and then 
drive to Antholtz the next morning, did official training for the race, did some pre-race, went to sleep and raced the next afternoon. So I guess it was like 48 hours, which isn't a super long time, but I'm really glad to have that much morning and not not any less because I do I do really get into my head quite badly on things like this. And the World Cup is a huge deal. I was glad to have a little bit extra warning and it was an awesome experience that the World Cup is so cool. So I was really excited to have that opportunity there. Had you been in Antholtz before? I had never been in Antholtz before. I'd never even been in Italy before. So had to take that one off the bucket list. So so Antholtz is regarded as uh, kind of the holy grail uh, uh, of, of, of biathlon venues. It's a beautiful setting in this tiny little mountain valley in the Sud Tyrol. Uh, what were your first impressions when you came down the valley and you were looking up at the mountains and saw this huge venue? What Okay, what blew my mind first was I've been watching World Cup religiously for probably the last four years at least now. So I've seen all the live stream of all the venue what blew my mind is driving into Antolts for the first time and it's like, oh, the venue, like the stadium is a building. Like the stadium is the third floor of a building where you ski. Like the range is just the third floor of a building with all these glass windows and things. So you drive into the parking lot and you park below this building that the roof of is a stadium. And that was kind of mind-blowing to me because the only other World Cup venues I'd been to were Rupolding and Oberhof and Soldier Hollow. So showing up there and being and seeing like oh wow this is like the real deal and the whole thing under the range and whatnot there are all these tunnels of where you need to walk through so super thankful that paul kind of showed me the way around showed me the way up to where i'd need to go for going to the start just going to the range for practice that day showing me around the courses that was super helpful from all the staff and all my fellow athletes it was just mind-blowing to see like, oh, wow, there's way more going on here than I expected. There's a ton of people here, which I didn't also expect, like just seeing thousands and thousands of people showing up to watch a biathlon race on the training day because it was um, the women's sprint that day. So there were just thousands of people showing up as I was training and then seeing how close the mountains were too. it all felt. It's almost like it kind of concentrates the energy in that one space and makes it feel really strong. And I'm glad I was a little bit ready, but it was still a bit overwhelming. But I told myself, I was like, Vincent, this is going to be overwhelming. Don't worry about it. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. Well, you performed pretty well. I mean, you shot well. You had uh, one miss in standing, one miss in prone, uh, but, a, but a pretty good day, I think, for your debut. Yeah, I'm happy with it for my debut. I've heard very few stories of people having phenomenal World Cup debuts, so I'm very happy with that. And I think I can also build on it too in the races to come. As far as a World Cup debut goes, it was relatively smooth. There was no absolute craziness. I don't have a crazy story to tell about how I forgot my skis or this, that, and the other. Yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience. Super cool to race in front of so many spectators and have all that noise. And really cool to be in such a picturesque venue on a really nice day too for it. That was very helpful. Yeah, it really was. Let's take a look at the World Championships coming up here in Oberhof as we record this. It's just a couple of days before the opening. Uh, you have made the team, your first World Championships. Uh, I, I would imagine that you probably don't know the start situation right now, do you? I have some info, but I don't know the total start situation. The coaches, they get to decide based on who they think will perform the best on that race. So it is up to them. But I have 
tons of confidence in them and i know that they will not they will do their best to not spring anything on any of the athletes so that's very nice i think because at least maxime is working very hard to do well at junior worlds um i'm not sure if he would like to start the individual so i think i will get to start in at least the 20 kilometer individual later this week and maybe i'll have some luck and get to start in some more but I've been saying I'm riding the wave right now, being happy with whatever starts come my way and not worrying too much about where and when I need to race because I'm having tons of fun and all I can do is do my best day to day. So I'm not too worried about what races I'll be starting, at least not yet. What do you look to take away from this event, your first world championships? And I I know your expectation uh, is probably not medals, but there's going to be things that you can build upon in your career. So what are some things you'd like to take away in two weeks from now say, hey, I'm really glad that I experienced this? Um, I think this place will probably be the best place for me to really realize what it's like to shoot in front of a crowd. Because at least on the flagship event, they're saying there will be 160,000 spectators there, which is enormous. Like It's the biggest sporting event I've ever witnessed, and I get to participate in it. So it's an awesome opportunity. But I will just really do my best to kind of stay in my own zone, especially on the range, on the ski course. Because when there is that much stuff happening, it's really easy to get distracted. So that's one of my biggest goals. First off is just to stay in my own zone and race my own race. And I think if I can do that here, it'll be easy to build off of that towards better and better races. I would also love to see if I can hit a lot of targets, but that's definitely a little bit more of an outcome goal. So really to focus on just staying in in my own race on on the range in front of all those thousands and thousands of people, that's that's I think could be the biggest takeaway for me. 160,000 people. Wow. Well, you have a good approach to this, Vincent, and we wish you all the best. We're going to close out uh, this episode of Heartbeat with a little section that we call On Target. And just a few questions to uh, finish things up here, Vincent. Did you have a sport hero when you were growing up in Salt Lake City? I think probably my first sport hero in Salt Lake City um, would be Billy DeMong, the Nordic Combined Athlete. Um, around the 2010 Olympics, that's when I really started watching a lot of sports. We only ever had broadcast TV at my house, but there was a channel called Universal Sports, so my brother and I would watch that religiously. Then also having Billy DeMong just being the best athlete around, and he was always such a nice guy. He knew my, he knew me by name. He knew my brother by name. He would come to tuna practices every now and then. We'd see him at all the local races he could be at. And then, you know, I cheered my lungs out watching him on the tv when he won his gold medal in the vancouver olympics and so he was really i would say my first sport hero and it was awesome to have someone that was like close by when i was growing up yeah i love that he has been a real pied piper for nordic athletes actually all athletes here in utah uh how about how about just a sport memory growing up in utah a particular sport memory i mean that's a good one honestly one thing I held on to for probably a little bit too long was when I was when I was 11 years old, I won the uh, the Soldier Hollow Super Qualifier skate race. So it was a I was a, I was a J4, which at the time I was like I'm old. It's a J4 now, um, but it was a two kilometer skate mass start. I think it was the biggest race I'd ever done. There were like 50 kids in it, and I somehow got the win in that one. 
I held on to that one for a long time. And I, st- I still remember that pretty vividly. Steven Schumann, I think, was on the podium in that one, too. Um, and he's racing World Cup Nordic combined right now, too. So it's kind of cool to see where we've gone from there. But that's definitely one of my fond sport memories from when I was little. Well, that is a great memory. Uh, if you think back over your last couple of years of touring around the world, what's a fun activity that you've done outside of biathlon? Some, one thing I think is super fun that I do almost every day outside of biathlon is I like doing like the New York Times mini crossword. But other than that, fun activities outside of biathlon, when I have an off day, go for cool runs outside of the venues, try to really explore and always just try to like, when I get to a new place, try to, if there's a weird food there, you have to eat it. Even if, even if it doesn't look good, even if you don't like it, it's totally worth it. Like, you know, if you're in Finland and they have weird little fried lake fish, like just eat a few of them because you're not going to see that anywhere else. So I think that, that tends to keep it a lot more fun. And if the team's going to do something like, you know, if you're going to go play a fun sport, you're going to go chuck football outside in the parking lot and you have the energy for it, of course, try and do that because keeps everything a little more fun and less serious. I, I, I love the eating weird things. Can, can you pick one example of something that's been truly weird that you've eaten? Honestly, even today, had some weird food here in Germany. It was just the pasta for lunch was, um, pasta sauce was like roasted bell pepper and a kind of tomato soup based sauce with, with essentially hot dog cubes and dill pickles in there. And so dill just pickles like, yeah yeah so it was, it was hot dog and pickle pasta like that was a bit weird otherwise um in finland when i was there earlier this year there was some little lake fish they're called like muiku or something little fish about the size of a minnow that had just been deep fried with you know the whole the whole fish was chucked in there right. i was like okay i'll try that and that's that's been one of the main weird foods otherwise yeah it's just little things here and there they don't they usually don't stand out too much but um, when I see them, I really go out of my way to try them. The Finnish fish thing is very much like smelt in the Midwest. So if you live anywhere near the Great Lakes, and a lot of Finnish immigrants do, that's a very, a very nice spring delicacy. Um, couple more. How about how about one one real benefit that you've enjoyed up at the program at Crosscut? Oh, one real benefit I've enjoyed. Honestly, it's being able to have freedom to do super fun training because at crosscut so many times shown up and you do some running combos with shooting and then you get to run up to the top of the ridge line and you have beautiful views and it's a hike in the mountains and there really isn't another place i can think of at least not in the united states where you can do that so i think the kind of freedom to choose what you want to do for training especially on distance days or easier days has been the biggest benefit for me Cool. Last question. Do you have a favorite biathlon venue that you've competed in? This, this is kind of corny, but I think Soldier Hollow really, Soldier Hollow, I really like. It's at altitude, which tends to agree with me. And I like the courses there for how I ski. I think the courses are fun. You have really fast downhills, but they're not super technical. So you get good recovery. The transitions flow quite well. The range approach isn't too hard, but it's not super easy. And then I'd say a second place right now to me is probably uh, Pukluka, Slovenia for a lot of the same reasons. It's a fun course. It's up in the mountains, beautiful views, and yeah, it's, it's just a fun place to race, I think. 
Vincent Bonacci, thank you so much for joining us here on Heartbeat. We wish you all the best at Oberhof for the World Championships and out through the rest of your career. Thanks for being a part of our podcast on Heartbeat. Thank you for having me. I met Vincent for the first time in Antholz. He has a good direction in the sport, and I'm sure he'll take full advantage of the opportunity to be at the World Championships in Oberhof. And thanks to Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon, for its support of Heartbeat. Check out more at paulsmithsbobcats.com. And if you missed earlier episodes of Heartbeat this year, check out the fun interview with Fede Fontana inside the Wax Room in Anholtz, as well as our pre-Worlds conversation with Tara Garrity-Motes earlier this week. You can watch all the World Championship action streaming live from Oberhof. Just check out links on usbiathlon.org and on our social channels. And remember, subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered directly to you. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. Podcast.